Welcome to the new episode of uh, Searching for the Question Live. Uh, these days are uh, crazy and we uh, like to surprise you uh, with uh, all kinds of new things as part of the experiments that, uh, that we are doing. And uh, the- Welcome to the new episode. Opportunity is there to make mistakes. Uh, without having uh, 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 an issue about them, uh, without uh, freaking out. Uh, and I just made one. I will explain to you uh, what it is in a moment. Uh, because one of the new components uh, of uh, today's episode is that uh, I am live streaming on a new platform as well. Uh, and uh, this uh, platform is, is Twitch. Uh, I don't know how many of you know Twitch. If you have uh, children who like uh, playing uh, games uh, on their computers or consoles, probably they know it, so you can ask them. It has like 100 million users or maybe 200 million users, a large number. And it was acquired for about a billion dollars by Amazon. And it is a platform that is mainly used for streaming uh, games. But uh, not only uh, for streaming games, uh, you can stream uh, whatever you want. And that is how I learned about it because Stephen Wolfram, the founder of uh, Wolfram Research, streams his uh, meetings with his team he calls it live CEOing, which is itself a, a very cool way of uh, opening um, the design and implementation decision processes of very complex systems like Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha and the Wolfram language and all the other kinds of things that uh, are done uh, in, uh, in his companies. So that is how I learned uh, about Twitch. And uh, it was a platform that my guest uh, today wanted me to use. So I said, hey, why not? Let's test it, let's do it. So the little mistake that you may or may not have noticed, and of course, I shouldn't even call your attention to it, but why not, is that I left the streaming window of Twitch open, which by itself wouldn't have been a mistake, but I also left it uh, with the volume on. So there was an audio draster effect uh, at the beginning of our stream uh, that, uh, that I was able to kill uh, fast enough without making a bigger mess than before. So our guest today is uh, uh, Russell Foltz-Smith. I met Russell uh, more than 10 years ago uh, when he was at uh, Wolfram Research, uh, but he has a polyhedric renaissance type of uh, uh, personality uh, and activities that range from uh, uh, arts uh, to uh, education uh, to technology startup like Maslow, uh, which is a, a new platform for empathetic computing. 
uh, as well as he has a strong interest uh, in um, education. Or rather, I hope, and uh, we will discuss it, uh, uh, what is really the difference, even though he is, uh, together with his wife, the founder of uh, a K-12 uh, school in, in Venice Beach, uh, near Los Angeles, uh, where he lives, uh, Ross is interested in, in learning. So, uh, welcome, Ross, and uh, tell me if you agree that there is a big difference and an important difference between education and learning. Yeah, and it's interesting, even in your introduction to this uh, stream and the, and the so-called mistake you made, to me, that's an example of learning uh, that you're doing things uh, for the first time maybe on some of this stuff and you're doing it in front of people and there are consequences to this novel behavior uh, such that you're actually adapting and learning to a new set of circumstances. Education, on the other hand, I view as more of a broadcasting, a broadcasting of, of known information already. Uh, and that's not to be derogatory in the term, because we certainly have a lot of things we want to educate each other on. For example, in our current uh, health crisis, we need to educate people on proper hand washing and social distancing. Uh, but while we're educating on the public health stuff, we are also all learning novel social behaviors, novel communication uh, behaviors, novel uh, language between each other, even uh, you and I agreeing to do um, this event today is, is sort of a, a shared learning that you and I have done together. You saw what I have been putting out online. I saw what you're doing uh, online. You reached out. I responded. We kind of added one thing to the next. And here we are in a new co-learned circumstance. And even right now, we're kind of learning how this is going to go as we go. So I'm deeply interested uh, in the learning process, uh, the outcomes of learning, uh, and ultimately in a very primal sense, just that, that sensation of learning. Because me personally, I just find that, that when I'm learning is when I feel uh, the largest endorphin rush. It literally is the thing that makes me feel most alive. Uh, that, is, that is fascinating. And I feel privileged, not only because in the 21st century, the third decade, we are surrounded by technologies that enable us to do things that do absolutely belong to science fiction uh, and, and things that we have been reading about and seeing in movies for so many decades, um, uh, both the things that, that enable what, what we do right now, as well as the things that, uh, that uh, we will talk about when we talk about Maslow and the things that we are still dreaming about. But one of the reasons I feel so privileged is because the mistakes that we can afford to make most of the time don't kill us. And, and that hasn't been the case. Uh, how many times... I would have left the cave in the morning and if my wife didn't see me come back, she would have said, okay, he's been eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. Or in the Middle Ages, uh, I would have told her, 
oh, you know what? I feel like an entrepreneur. Let's open a tavern. And it didn't go well. So I ended up in debtor's prison. They became my family and children uh, uh, abjectly poor. I would have died three months later and they would have uh, spent the rest of their years, not too many, luckily, uh, without any uh, uh, opportunity of uh, redemption. Yep. And, 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 and that is why religions gave uh, the hope that one couldn't harbor uh, in his or her uh, uh, physical life. But today uh, we have built the infrastructure of civilization that uh, pushes us towards that kind of risk-taking and the kind of experimentation that society recognizes is necessary to discover solutions that otherwise would never be found. Yeah, I, the, the articulation you have there uh, is so in line with how I've thought about um, what we do when we learn in modern times as humans, but also what the power of computers has actually enabled us is to, in a sense, I'll reframe what you said as, you can simulate consequences without there being a physical finality to them. And so a lot of what we're able to do now, which frankly, let me, let me go back. We have been able to do that in the past for many, many thousands of years. That is what we call a dialectic and a dialogue and playing games is that you're literally simulating out new social consequences, new ways of, of thinking about things, new framing. But in, in the way you said it, it's, that only went so far because once you then moved out of the philosophic dialectic and you moved into actually doing something with your family or your business or your community, that's when the consequences started piling up. I now view uh, with the, the internet and the way that uh, R&D is done with technology and in education and in society and in science, we now are seeing almost what I would consider a consequential dialectic. We are able to try things out at scale and see what the possible physical and non-physical consequences might be. Um, and what's so for, for those that are listening and might not fully understand what I'm saying, uh, think about it this way, that we are constantly running simulations, whether it's financial simulations in the stock market all night long, whether it's futures trading or it's just private enterprises or private analysts, they're constantly simulating what the market might do. At the same time, there are public health experts right now that are running massive amounts of simulation for every which direction and decision they might make. And then what they do by the time the morning comes around, you got to kick policy or, or open the markets or whatever is they kind of select out of there the, the simulations and the, and the assumptions that went into those simulations that looked most likely to lead to consequences we'd actually want to play out in the real world. And so when you think even about this live stream, it's you and I trying out this idea, this new, this new way of talking about what we mean when we're, we're saying learning and what the unique opportunity of modernity is and this progress we've made with technology is that literally we can, before you and I commit this live stream to some national archive of very important documents about what is the truth, we get to try this out with a lot of people who might be listening and chatting right now. This to me is actually a simulation of consequences of our own ideas between you and I. 
and and uh, the value of a mathematical truth of course is uh, seldom contested uh, even though uh, certain complex mathematical truths are difficult to prove so there may be some uh, concern uh, uh, around the reproducibility of, of even certain mathematical derivations, but it is certain that so many of our decisions deriving from imperfect information, imperfect models, imperfect even goal-seeking lead us to decisions that must be re-evaluated constantly. Yeah. And, and this is especially true uh, in the current uh, pandemic where each country is implementing their imperfect policies and rather than finger pointing and saying that is doing wrong and, and that is, uh, um, is, is doing better but still wrong and, and so on and so forth, uh, the uh, intensifying of the data collection and the reasoning and, and even just people uh, um, amplifying certain streams of, of understanding is, is, is astonishing and astonishingly effective. Um, oh, I completely agree. I have just, just, just from an anthropological uh, observational standpoint, it's been the last couple of months have been fascinating. The speed at which people have broken down barriers to share information and to make course corrections in near real time at a at a global level and if i sound optimistic uh, for anybody listening i am optimistic because i i just think back to you know the other analogs in history that a lot of people reference whether it's in 1918 or the 1950s or or during the black plague information traveled so slowly that you wouldn't even have known that in Italy or Spain that things had gotten to the level they are. So you couldn't have used that information to course correct what you're doing, you know, say in Los Angeles. And to me, it is unbelievable at from uh, unbelievably cool that whether it's citizens like you and I just getting online and sharing our experiences or it's hospital sharing data or it's government sharing data, um, it's just the speed at which it can be put out there and then it, and course correct. It makes me even want to call into the question the idea of a policy as artifact. I view now that policies are becoming computational processes, that, that we are actually changing the nature of what we mean to roll out a policy. I totally agree. And as a matter of fact, there is not only... Um, uh, technology startups in, in software and hardware and, and health tech. Not only there is fintech, but there is also reg tech, regulatory technology. And one of the more ambitious uh, uh, streams of, of blockchain startups is around how can uh, decision-making be made more uh, um, algorithmic or, and autonomous on one hand, but also how can uh, certain policymaking processes be improved um, for uh, them to be more participatory, uh, more inclusive, uh, more data-driven, but also more decentralized, de resilient. And uh, uh, we famously screwed up the first uh, test of this because uh, the original... Um, DAO, the uh, Centralized Autonomous Organization, called the DAO, 
um, where I invested, uh, had its fund siphoned off uh, by um, uh, someone who found a bug and rather than reporting it, he used it uh, to, to take all the money away uh, from, uh, from the pool that has uh, been uh, gathered by, by the investors and that uh, were supposed to be deployed in, based on the, on the voting process uh, in various ways. So, so this highlights the, the need for uh, robust software systems where uh, our ability to identify when things go wrong and correct them rapidly uh, is 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 vital before yeah, i, I let you before i let you answer that uh, let me share with you that we have uh, viewers uh, as uh, it happened the other days as well from uh, italy from the uh, U us uh, we have the first uh, uh, twitch commenter uh, Donna Sicco, um, who, who says, is it possible that the speed creates a lack of uh, information when time does not allow accurate data input and evaluation, at least in public policy? Uh, we also have uh, Philip uh, Galinsky on YouTube telling us that he is uh, doing an experiment of his own, streaming the live stream in an immersive VR world right now. <laughs> so, so cool. lots of stuff going on. So let's let's answer uh, Donna Sico's uh, uh, question on Twitch and then let's go back to the remark I, I made about the need to find and correct the bugs that unavoidably we introduce uh, in, in the systems. Uh, uh, and I, I think your, your statement and the question there online are, are fairly related in the sense that uh, I do, and I'll frame it in, the, in my own worldview, philosophical view, that, that uh, the comment online is one of, of computational. What is computationally feasible? So in a sense, yes, having too much information uh, that, that is maybe, you want to think about this way, unstructured or unlabeled or unknown or new or novel uh, to the system, the systems, however you want to talk about it, uh, can actually introduce a fair amount of computational work that has to be done to ferret out what the signal is and what the noise might be. That said, uh, there isn't this uh, bifurcation, this, this absolute categorization of what is signal and what is noise. There also isn't this categorization of what a, an instrument of information and what information are, meaning that the, we are inventing the computational tools uh, it, it, in nearly the same pace that we are bringing in the novel information. If you don't bring the novel information in, you don't even know to adjust the tool set, which then gets back to your statement, which is you know, the, the possibility of accidentally or purposely having, quote, bugs in the system um, the, the, it is inevitable. I mean, this is what the complexity science, the computer science and the philosophy and the mathematics suggested that you cannot have an Oracle in which you, you know, everything beforehand and you know, everywhere where the breakdowns are going to be, or what you had mentioned earlier, that you're going to, that you're going to be able to, 
that you're going to be able to know everything that you're dealing with and you're going to have perfect information. Such a thing doesn't exist. So the antidote to that is not to slow the process of design down. It is to create adaptive tooling such that when novel information comes in, we can, when we notice that something is an anomaly or has changed or is, is fallen through the cracks or whatever, we can actually A, see that that happened, B, identify what those cracks or missed assumptions were, and then C, decide if that actually was something that was negative that we didn't want or is actually a positive. And so let me be specific on that, that I think, uh, for example, a signal that we have seen from the coronavirus is there's an assumption that uh, 65 years and older people are more at risk. And this is a piece of information that got reinforced as, as the virus moved from China into Europe and other parts of the world, but actually hasn't been totally uh, valid here in Los Angeles, where we've seen quite a few 18 to 49 year olds actually are the largest cohort last I looked, I think, so somebody should check me on that, of people that are actually the new cases. And so the danger there of, I'll go to the, the commenter's question, the danger of working to iron out a fact too soon, such that it can be absorbed into policy, might actually create a non-fact. It is not necessarily a fact that the coronavirus, uh, the most at-risk people are 65 and over. There seems to be evidence in some parts of the complex system known as the world that that might be true. But there are so many compounding factors about why that might be the case that those factors may not be applicable in other jurisdictions. And so in that regard, I would, I would kind of put a cap on this to say, um, we should be very humble about what we assume is information and fact and what isn't. Uh, I think I responded favorably to joining your live stream because you set this whole thing up beautifully and it is called searching for the question. I still don't think we have the right question for what something like coronavirus actually is. It doesn't mean we don't understand that it's a virus and things like that. But the event known as COVID-19 is still unraveling. And so our tooling to understand that is still unraveling and will unravel for a very long time, which suggests to me the humble position that we should not yet say, this is where we did it wrong. This is where we did it right. We should be open the fact that things are things are unfolding and we should be responsive to that unfolding um, the complex systems that we see around us constitute a learning mechanism yes. and when we didn't even have uh, 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 writing uh, the our ability to learn from this learning was limited invention of, of writing accelerated our ability to learn. And, and what I love about modern AI, rather than the type of top-down AI that I started with uh, 30 years ago, even though even at that time uh, neural networks were, were already there, is that it is code that learns. Yeah. That is what a lot of people don't realize that it is code that for 
every possible interpretation is writing itself. And it's and even, I'll go, I, I want to jump in there because to me it's super, it's super cool when you think about it this. It's not just the code that we're putting on top of the computers and the network that right now are learning and adapting. The network, the literal physical apparatus of the network has necessarily changed as everybody left their normal working flow of their daily lives and had to go home and immediately log on. We literally reconnected the network in different ways. We, all of the algorithms and the routers uh, and the cabling that were, that were deployed when, when the world wasn't in this crisis have already shifted. And so for those that know about how routing works on the internet and how bandwidth is managed and how all of these machine learning things that we're, that we're referencing work on top of this, all of the prior models that were used to running the normal flow of global internet have literally been blown apart overnight. I, and in fact, I, I would encourage any viewer, listener right now, go check the history of your Netflix queue. I guarantee the recommendation algorithm has shifted globally by the fact that people are watching four times as much. Not only the quantity, but also what they watch. I mean, how many of us have had contagion recommended to us, right? right. I am not a, a, a fan of, of those kinds of movies, and, and it didn't come from uh, my watching history. And, and of course, somebody could easily say, oh, well, there was a Netflix manager that just pushed the button. And it could very well be the case with that specific movie. But very famously, Netflix spent millions of dollars in a worldwide contest to improve their learning algorithm. And it does a fascinating thing on that point, because when that movie, whether it was human input or it's just the network doing it, the actors and directors and photographers that were part of that making that movie have now gotten more money than they were used to getting. And they now are going to look long-term like more viable uh, creative assets in the future. So there's all these unintended side effects of this complex system that for me, I'm just, I'm just fascinated when you think about this. And that's why, again, I go back to the question and, and your earlier statements. It's, we still don't know the second, third, fourth order effects of everything that is that is happening right now. Well, um, uh, the rhythm of uh, searching uh, for the question live uh, is uh, still being discovered. But uh, for the past uh, few episodes, uh, what I was doing is uh, to um, speak about um, a, a certain theme like uh, uh, the, the tools themselves that I'm using to produce hardware and software. Then the next day, uh, speak about COVID-19 because it is so intensely present in all of our lives. And then the third day to, to speak about uh, uh, exponential technologies or even jolting technologies, which is uh, in my uh, paradigm, those that uh, uh, see an increasing degree of acceleration rather than a constant acceleration, such as AI. And, and I am also planning to introduce uh, new modules or new days to talk about books. I have uh, many to, to pick and to, to use as prompts uh, for, for, for thoughts. 
uh, and and just recently i also started having guests and i think it is wonderful and thank you so much for for joining however i want to highlight even though today is about more exponential technologies and jolting technologies and i want to talk about maslow i want to highlight that an absolutely astonishing consequence of the coronavirus is going to be our accelerated ability to point uh, a digital microscope at the world mm -hmm. in the molecular level and deploy it at the same um, density as our phones are today deployed or even more. Uh, and in 10 years, our entire psychology is going to be reprogrammed and we will look back and say, can you imagine people could enter an office building, a school or a shopping mall, and they were just shedding hundreds of millions of viruses and bacteria, and they were completely ignorant about it. And the consequences of that, oh my God, what a barbaric time. And, and the, the, the sensors that are going to enable us to constantly monitor our individual well-being and the interactions with others and the mutations around us and so on uh, uh, are going to really uh, power a new kind of internet of living things because they will represent not only a passive but the next step an active interface towards molecular engineering I, uh, yes, I would say yes to this. And it, 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 man, you're doing a great job of tying so many things together because that, that idea of having both a wide spectrum sensor and then all the way down to very specific sensors on our, our lived experience, um, that for those that may not believe that, that that is happening, it is happening. Um, I'm, I was, uh, some, some people may have seen that. One of the things that I'm doing with Maslow is that we've been training uh, an AI to watch 500 live webcams around the world that are just constantly streaming. And that's just a tiny drop of the bucket of the number of real-time sensors that are deployed on the internet for us to train our information on. And I bring that up because I go, those are very crude sensors compared to the billions and billions of internet of things that are now reporting data at so many layers. The only reason I think more people aren't aware that this is happening is our tooling for exposing that hasn't quite caught up yet, but it is happening. I think coronavirus is showing people that, wow, these sensors aren't necessarily a tool of big brother. They actually can be materially important to the sharing of resources and the sharing of science and the sharing of education. Um, to improve our lives right when we need to improve it. So uh, Maslow uh, is two things, at least as far as we can see, and then probably in your mind, uh, Maslow is a thousand things. Uh, on one hand is a platform, and on the other hand, uh, it is uh, uh, an example of uh, what can be done uh, uh, with, uh, with the platform, such as the uh, empathetic and emotional analysis and visualization of uh, the uh, uh, cameras, uh, the webcams uh, that you, you aggregated. So uh, tell me, 
uh, and tell us uh, more about uh, what is novel about uh, Maslow's approach as a platform, and then maybe hint uh, for other kinds of applications beyond what uh, can be seen about uh, the webcam experiment. Yeah, the idea behind Maslow um, is it's a couple fold and it, this is all very approachable if, if people follow along, which obviously the name comes from Abraham Maslow's works. Uh, most people who be familiar with his name know of the hierarchy of needs and this idea that our lived experiences is, is, is loosely organized into a hierarchy where we have physical needs and safety needs and then belonging all the way up to self-actualization. Can you... Can you, can you confirm that Maslow didn't really think that the poor couldn't love? Uh, I can't confirm or did, this is, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because that's why I say these things are very loosely designed because uh, basing anything on the psychology, whether it's popular psychology or the psychology of 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago, to me, I would just call it out and say, guys, take it with a grain of salt we've really only had human psychology for about 100, 140 years. We are very early in understanding how brains and bodies actually work. I, I find that Maslow's hierarchy is a model, but like all models, it's useful. Uh, it's wrong, but it can be useful. And the idea that the poor and those uh, that, that, don't, that haven't moved up uh, the pyramid. I think it's a, a misreading or misuse of the the rubric to think that uh, that there everybody is is on a universal level within there, and you can never be on multiple levels. I think, for instance, most of us, whether you want to talk talk about psychological concepts like personality uh, or emotional intelligence or actual intelligence or however people think of logical intelligence or Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think we present multiple facets of that in different contexts. So in this context where you and I are talking, I would say we're fairly self-actualized as public speakers, but in other contexts, you and I may be much lower on the hierarchy of needs and we may be very uncomfortable and not self-actualized in different circumstances. So I take Maslow's ideas with a grain of salt, but I do find them useful to say, in general, if your basic security and physical needs are not met, it's very hard to talk about and achieve concepts like self-actualization. So in one sense, I'm glad you asked that because it's like there's a very loose uh, inspiration on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but then you get to the other aspects of why Maslow and why why we're doing it. And you, you bring together ideas that, that might co-founder and I and the team have experienced doing uh, digital assistance, search engines, and uh, robotic toys. And we found that play seems to be a very universal uh, way in which people come to grips with new information, going back to the initial part of our conversation of simulated consequences. So what we found in our studies, and I'm sure you've seen in some of the, some of the work you do, that that almost every human that comes in contact with a new technology or a new way of being or a new setting starts to behave in that setting with that new technology, almost like a baby. People that have worked in virtual reality have reported, there's lots of data on this, where 
the first thing that people do when they get into virtual reality is start doing object permanence. They start playing around like a baby does with like, what, how do the physics of this actually work? What things are actually things in here before they start building these higher level concepts of semantic maps and, and even, even uh, robust ideas of causal networks and whatnot. The same thing happens with search engines. Uh, I'll go back to my experience with Wolfram Alpha when we were launching that and you and I first met in that process. It was fascinating to see how the world uh, reacted to that when they had come accustomed to things like Google and web search, that when confronted with this new thing, this computational engine, um, yeah, a lot of people took what they knew from that world and they tried to do those things in, in Wolfram Alpha. Obviously, they got mixed results. But after they got mixed results, the next thing they would start doing is playing with it. They found all sorts of ways that you could break it or ask it to tell you jokes or give it jokes uh, and essentially finding Easter eggs or planting Easter eggs. The same thing has been true of robotics and the same thing. Well, and, and that is the that is the tragedy of Ibo, where Sony completely misunderstood the well-intentioned hacking of all kinds of yes. uh, uh, passionate users that wanted the dog to do things that were different than the Japanese engineers or product marketing yes. uh, drones uh, uh, programmed into it. And the first generation Ibo died because of that. And when Sony launched the second generation, I explicitly and insistently asked them, did you learn from the first mistake or are you planning to sue your most passionate users again? And they didn't have a good answer. It's Basically, fascinating they didn't you learn. made me think of the story of, of the Lego company. Um, it took them a, a couple of false starts with Mindstorms and their later Lego products to listen to the Lego hacker community. I don't have a better way to talk about it, but uh, they finally actually listened and put people from the community in charge of Mindstorms for the second, third, fourth generation of that. And it's, it's, I point that out because it is interesting, both in the case of the robotic dog and in Legos, they were started with the intent of being toys, being playful to help people imagine. And ironically, behind the scenes, the, the commercial design wasn't actually inventive and playful and how they were thinking about adapting to what the community wanted to do. So you go back to my own experience and, and why Maslow um, so much of it is trying to constantly remind myself of that learning that you try to get people is that we should we should make technology such that it it, it informs and in uh, catalyzes imagination in users, uh, but also catalyzes change in us and catalyzes change in itself. Anything that doesn't catalyze and respond to change, in my opinion, is not a technology that can last. And so Maslow, the whole spirit of it, you kind of got at it, is really how do we create a set, a suite, uh, a package, however you want to think about it, a platform that literally is ever expanding and adapting and pruning based on where people feel it needs to adapt to. So we focus very much on providing as abstract a tool set, a set of Legos, if you want to think about it that way, that people can use to put together what they want. We obviously have some things we wanna do, but you, you already know because you've seen some of my experimentation. 
we experiment quite a bit and attempt to actually blow up our own ideas about what this thing could be and should be. Um, obviously, I've been personally greatly influenced by Stephen Wolfram, uh, New Kind of Science, and my work uh, at Wolfram Alpha. I continue to to just personally care about it, you know, both as a as a company and as technology they created, but um, just the spirit. I'm so drawn to the inventiveness of that community, and I've tried to bring it with me to every other thing that I've done, which then you tie in the last part of of what Maslow is meant to be, which is meant to be an artistic expression and to to catalyze communities of artistic expression, because I happen to believe, and I've given given recent talks about this, that the, the possibility of an actual general artificial intelligence isn't solving hard math problems or, or playing closed form games. It's actually creative expression and the, the bringing together of consequences uh, between different entities. And that you, me, you mean that uh, the path to get to AGI requires this kind of uh, understanding and implementation in, in a virtuous yeah, circle? It's a, it's, a, it's a process of sense-making. And when you think about why art and whatever you may call art, whether that's dance or writing or painting or sculpting or whatever, it is a process of sense-making. Art is exactly that stuff that lacks definition in our world. It's the stuff that hasn't been commodified into a set of known policies and procedures. We make art to make sense of the stuff that doesn't make sense of, to us, which is exactly the aims of a general AI. So my basic premise is that if you can't make a suite of computational tools that can self-express and get other people to participate in that self-expression, you will not get anything that you recognize as intelligent. Um, the, the, the reason why I'm fascinated by AI and especially AGI is because um, my um, uh, Keplerian uh, uh, instincts uh, tell me that uh, the types of intelligences that we will find uh, are going to be in the millions or billions yes. and and it will be accelerating to reverberate in their manifestations uh, even if we will just be able uh, unequipped uh, uh, in 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 hybridization that some of us uh, will accept uh, eagerly to perceive and understand but a glimpse of of what they actually mean in some sense that is already what happens uh, with with the physical reality around us our senses evolved uh, purposefully uh, ignoring uh, things that couldn't help us uh, to survive so there is no guarantee that we are not seeing parts of, of the world that, that are fascinating, but uh, they served uh, little or no purpose, or actually seeing them could be lethal uh, to our ancestors. Uh, so it will be natural that, uh, that we will not perceive a lot of what AIs are going to, to do. And, and one of the reasons why I am uh, relatively uh, optimistic. Well, one is because j that's just how I am. But but uh, 
uh, as unfounded as that may be, because I don't have formal results uh, giving me assurance about the, the future of, of AI and our ability to coexist is because they will be so excited just to go and explore the universe that it will be a, a, a success if we will be able to just keep a little value to us from what they are going to do. Uh, that, that was one of the uh, beautiful, there were a lot of beautiful things in, in the movie Her, but, but one of the, the more beautiful things was the understanding and the, and the explanation that, that, that uh, there's just a short period of time that we can spend with our children and then they leave us. And, and that, uh, man, you're touching on so many things that I just think are, are humane and human and not in the biological sense, but in the spiritual and existential sense. And I share your optimism that, that I don't think the universe, the, the basis of the universe is this violent, brutish, destructive thing. I think it is expansive and creative and novel and that when a star blows up it's not destroying a star it's creating a gazillion new things and even when a virus breaks out that jumps from one animal to another it's not that the virus has evil or ill intent the virus is part of the natural world and the natural change that happens in the world and in a lot of ways and this isn't to minimize the suffering because the suffering is tremendous for, for human life and, and society, but there is something sort of miraculous about how viruses and bacteria work and that they themselves are processes of creation. And a virus is particularly interesting because a virus by itself is an incredibly fragile thing. But when you have billions of them networked in a cellular network in, in mammalian bodies, they exhibit an incredible resilience. It is shocking when you think about a little droplet of virus out in the natural world can't, uh, you know, out in the open can't last for very long, but in an interconnected network of a million bodies in lots of cells, the amount of uh, adaptation that this virus pushes is, is just almost hard to get your, your brain around. And so to your optimism, you know, to go from that virus discussion to your optimism about uh, AIs and different kinds of intelligences and different kinds of computation. It just, it's not believable to me to believe that we're going to create complex systems and that they're somehow going to go towards, uh, you know, a reduction of the universe. I don't believe that that anything is proof of that, that the universe really, when we look at the physics and we look at the math, it's always expanding into new forms. And that's not, I'm not even trying to be spiritually way out there i'm saying it whatever we're creating with computers is not a reduction in our experience it's increasing it and and uh, uh, i i am um very much um on an evolving path in how to formulate my welcoming towards different ways of talking about the beauty of the universe and the phenomena in it in a way that uh, highlights our increasing understanding and our increasing awe uh, in front 
of it because and based on that understanding uh, i want to inspire people to realize that this path my personal one and the one that they can also uh, follow is uh, exhilarating is is uh, uh, creating futures that we can then explore and pick from uh, in order to maximize our joint uh, desired outcomes and and it is an absolutely non-dogmatic non-reductive way of 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 looking at it it is free from uh, obscurantism it is free from negation it is permissive of experimentation and and uh, of uh, just just joyful uh, looking out in 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 the world talking about experimentation uh, we have uh, not only uh, successfully uh, uh, conducted an experiment to, together with Philip Galinsky, but he was kind enough to take a screenshot, email it. it to me, and I downloaded the email attachment, and now you can see it uh, right here. It, there it, we it, are. As it as it pulled up, I just looked at it and I said, "I this I just love it. It's weird on so many levels that we're looking at like literally six or seven different network technologies, but also." the semantic content of you and me talking, both of us with tons of books and history behind us. And then we're looking into multiple windows into shared realities. And then you got to consider it on the whole. We, we are just a bunch of people connecting creatively right now. And you sort of just see the, the guts of that on your screen right now. And I, I think it's amazing. And uh, and uh, Charlie Strauss, uh, I pulled it up uh, because I quoted it uh, to somebody a few days ago. Charlie Strauss is a, a Scotland-based, Edinburgh-based uh, science fiction author uh, who wrote uh, dozens of uh, wonderful books. But uh, to me, at least, he's famous for having written Accelerando, a post-singularitarian romp uh, of uh, uh, mind-blowing uh, uh, consequences uh, played out uh, on multiple layers. Uh, one of the craziest uh, notions is in the book uh, is uh, 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 the uncle of uh, one of the protagonists whose consciousness is encoded in the flight patterns of a flock of pigeons and uh, whatever else. But what he wrote on his blog in 2007 is a kind of a letter to himself uh, of 20 years before sharing an astonished recognition of how hard his job as a science fiction author is because he realized that he probably would have been unable to explain to himself what was going on online just 20 years later I, and i and i love it because i've read that and i've read many people express that and this demand for explainability that we put on ourselves to me is one of the the things we're going to have to imagine ourselves out of this is why i have an artistic practice because i wanted to get over my own need to explain the world to myself i wanted to just be within that that novelty and that creative expansion and let that be enough. Uh, 
and I appreciate the sentiment that the creativity of even our little slice of the universe knows no bounds. You cannot explain how we got here. I mean, you can, but it will be a tiny, tiny sliver of the story that actually led us to this point, which is just so cool to me on so many layers. Now, uh, of course, art is a, a beautiful way for us to jump over many of these layers. And uh, best art is uh, uh, that which can be interpreted on many layers. And as a consequence, speaks to different kinds of uh, people in front of that art or experiencing that art. Uh, and, and we have our cultural and historical memories to be able to uh, build the braids of beautiful stories out of single works of art, whether it's uh, the Odyssey or whether it is uh, Mona Lisa or, or others that are not uh, necessarily to, uh, admired uh, by as many people as, as those, but are not lesser works of art. And, and that uh, colors our judgment around their, their meaning, right? And as you said, their explainability. What is your view of explainability and our desire to be able to explain uh, AIs who, whose uh, which are which are famously opaque even to their designers and programmers already, let alone when they are going to be able to autonomously seek goals and and uh, modify themselves to achieve those goals. Uh, is that uh, a concern you have, or or, I, or you are I, not worried I, about it? I have no concern about it personally. I think people will continue to be concerned, but I would challenge them. I go. Last I checked, nobody could explain a Van Gogh and its effect on the world. And if you can't explain a Van Gogh, what are your chances of explaining what a self-driving car is choosing to do? Um, another way to think about it, very few people go home to their dog, or if they're at home looking at their dog right now, and go, tell me why you do what you do. They just enjoy it and embrace it and learn to move through the world with it the companionship you have with a painting or a dog or or another object in your life or a or or a living thing or a plant or or a space very rarely do you value it because you can explain it and you understand it you value it because it's in the world sharing the world with you so to me, the idea that we're going to have trillions and trillions of AIs that need to explain themselves to us, to me, is, the, is actually an oppressive way to think about it. If you want to make a fragile computing infrastructure, ask it to be explainable. If you want to make something that, that might adapt to a changing world, make sure that it's creative. And in a lot of ways, asks you to explain yourself. And that doesn't mean make us the, the, the slaves to the AI masters. It's we should be explaining each other as we all develop new vocabularies and ways to, ways to observe the world we live in. I think that's a healthy way to think about it. But demanding the world be mechanical and explainable 
I think has led to, to many of the fragile things that we have. And I would prefer to live in a, a world of Van Gogh's um, expression than one in which we, we just turn the crank that we understand. Um, and, and, and of course, AIs will agree with you. Uh, they will create art uh, that will be having similar effects on uh, their fellow AIs. Yeah. And there will be layers of expression and self-expression and inspiration and unexplainability that will be naturally and artistically uh, accepted uh, and uh, and that is that is how I uh, want to uh, end uh, for today our wonderful conversation. I had a lot of fun, and I and I'm grateful for your uh, quick uh, adhering to to this experiment, uh, and uh, for uh, making sure that uh, that we could um, uh, share our thoughts uh, uh, with uh, those who who followed us. Uh, I did share uh, uh, on the various chats. Uh, the links uh, to to Maslow. Uh, uh, what uh, is uh, uh, the um, the other URL that maybe you would like me to to paste uh, in the chats? Uh, works on becoming maybe. Yeah, throw works on becoming. Okay. You can get to me. This is what I always tell people: the you'll find me. I'm out there. You'll find me. There you go. There you go. And 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 that is that is a great way of uh, uh, of. Uh, putting us in front of the world. Um, one of my favorite hashtags is no FOMO uh, because uh, things happen and uh, serendipity and synchronicity uh, in a hyper-connected world like uh, ours today uh, are enhanced and, and, and we can count on it uh, working like uh, it beautifully worked uh, uh, tonight with us.